Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to cover the last two verses of chapter 2 today, but I want to back up. We'll read verses 21 through 25 so we get ourselves back into the context of where we left off last week. Beginning in verse 21. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Hits the song we just sang a moment ago. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, did not hurl insults in return when they insulted him. When he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. If you want righteous judgment, you've got to go to the righteous judge. Who himself bore our sins in his own body, on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time in your word. We ask that you'd be here with us. We know that you are. We have already welcomed you. You are in our midst. You've inhabited our praises. And now we ask you to Speak to our hearts and minds through your holy, supernatural, awesome, divine word. Touch our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, verse 24. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. I want to start with the first two words. Who himself. I want to take this opportunity to remind everyone that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. We don't find the word Trinity in the Bible, but we clearly find the concept, the precept, the doctrine of the Trinity in that the Scriptures clearly teach there is only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And yet we see repeatedly that there is a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. So theologians came up with the word Trinity or triune God to try to describe and define the nature of our God. One God manifesting Himself in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He who Himself bore our sins in His own body. This is an important point, I think, to be made. Because many would try to take the opposite viewpoint. But God is not some nebulous, random, undefinable, esoteric entity. Throughout the scriptures, he is described using the male pronoun. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, one of the many scriptures that confirms to us that Jesus is God, not just a man, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all on equal footing, if you will, But, 
made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man. Now you again, you may wonder why am I emphasizing this. Because again, in the last days, we've entered a phase now. It's all part of the same demonic, satanic strategy. The ultimate goal, and it is demonic, it is satanic, it is orchestrated by the devil himself, is to eradicate humanity through promoting unnatural practices. Uh Uh-oh. Look out. Perversions. Read Romans chapter 1. That denigrate, demoralize, deteriorate the human race. And now it's gone beyond the full-scale promotion of homosexuality, lesbianism, and so forth, bestiality, and now transgenderism, trying to erase any solid, identifiable identity for a human being. Jesus was and is a man. Fully God, fully man. I'm sorry, excuse me. I mean, it's ridiculous to even have to talk about this. But folks, if you, again, if you don't realize what's going on, I don't know what planet you're living on. I don't know what jar you're storing your brain in. But there's an all-out assault on humanity, and it comes from the pit of hell. And I think, in a very subtle, maybe not so subtle way, This all-out assault and affront on gender is ultimately Satan's plan to neutralize the Son of God. Do you get it? Do you know now in Canada, I may have already told you this, I don't know, on the birth certificate, maybe I did, You now have a choice. M for male, F for female, U for undecided. Look it up if you don't believe me. If you think I I get up here and blow smoke, then you go out and you do the research. I'm telling you it's a fact. You can put a U on the birth certificate, which means undecided or unconfirmed. Last time I checked, it's not very hard to confirm. The gender of a newborn baby. I've been saying this for a long time, but now it is literally completely true that the world has gone insane. And again, Romans chapter 1 tells you that's what happens when people reject the Creator. They literally lose their minds. And if you don't realize it, and stand against it, and stay saturated in the Word of God, and in fellowship with the body of Christ, and filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to go nuts too. Don't doubt me. There's no neutral ground. You will either have the mind of Christ, and by the way, everyone prior to conversion is pretty much insane. Romans chapter 12. 
Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You see, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds because our minds are twisted and perverted without Christ. But I'm telling you, it's reached an all-time low, if you will. This planet is systematically going insane. Our president recently issued a decree banning transgenders in the military. Oh my gosh. The world is going to explode. Did you know that that was always the policy until one year ago? That's nothing new. Transgendered people were always banned from the military until one year ago when Barack Obama lifted the ban on transgenders in the military. Prior to that, they were never allowed in. If you're so confused, you don't know what gender you are, how are you going to go out and fight on a battlefield? And many of them go in because they want the government, the, the, the Veterans Association, the, the military medical plan to pay for their hormones and their surgeries. All the people in the military past and present, have spoken up and said, we are so glad that he did this, but the majority of the American people have been polled and say they favor transgenders in the military. I'm telling you, the world has gone insane. I'm pretty sure, percentage-wise, the majority of Americans now favor gay marriage. The church, pretty much 50-50 when the majority of the populace is all in favor of anything and everything that is ungodly, unholy, unbiblical, you have a population that's gone insane. And I didn't intend to talk about any of that, but here it is. So Jesus himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Jesus is fully God Fully man. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a you. Undecided. No. Bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew 1, 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Fully God Fully man. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You see, folks, what's happened is that, again, because of the wholesale rejection of our Creator by large portions of the populace, we have replaced rationality, common sense, intelligence, with unbridled fleshly emotions and feelings. And so instead of guiding and directing our lives, obviously first and foremost by God and His Word, but even in times past, if someone wasn't a true born-again believer, because of the overall influence in our world and our society, our culture of Judeo-Christian values and beliefs and principles, biblical values people could still operate within the, 
uh, the context of rationality, common sense, and intelligence, but not now. They go by their emotions, their feelings, their misplaced human compassion. God is the God of all comfort. There is no one more compassionate than God. Nobody understands you the way God does. But there is also a human fleshly compassion that allows our feelings and emotions to override that which is right and good and true and makes sense. For example, the majority of the population supporting transgenders in the military, the majority of the population supporting gay marriage. Why do they do that? Compassion. Whether it makes any sense or not. Whether it's rational or not. Whether it's intelligent or not. God's compassion is rational, intelligent, sensible, holy, righteous, and perfect. But so many people now are not operating in a godly, holy compassion guided and directed by the Holy Spirit, they are operating in a fleshly compassion where rather than holding people accountable for their actions, we enable them. You see the difference? Am I getting through here? And it's just as prevalent in the church as it is outside the church. Perfect example, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There's a guy in that church in Corinth who is living in an incestuous relationship with his stepmother. That's what we think the situation was. His father's wife. And Paul has to write to the Corinthians and rebuke them because they're bragging about the fact that they're being so understanding and loving and compassionate with this guy and this lady. And Paul says, no, no, guys. You should have put them out of the church so that they will come to a place of repentance. They are living in sin. But rather than holding them accountable, you're coddling them, encouraging them in their sin. That's fleshly compassion. That's human compassion. Godly compassion is different. Godly compassion loves us too much to leave us in our sin. Godly compassion, God desires to lift us up out of our sin, to restore us, renew us, make us whole, and protect us from our own stupidity. Oh, finally, 1 Timothy 2.5. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Again, the Scriptures make it clear. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And again, we've got those in the New Age and these other occultic and cultic movements Uh, referring to God as a she and so forth, the goddess. See, it's all part of the same satanic, demonic strategy to confuse everybody about everything. I don't know if I'm a man or a woman. I don't know if God's a he or a she. I don't know if God's an it or a he or a she or a what. It's all part of the same overall satanic, demonic plot. God brings us into a place of clarity, understanding, Satan, his goal is to confuse and to bring people to a place of insanity. All right. He bore our sins in his own body. And again, why is this so important that Jesus 
is not only fully God, but fully man. In order to bear our sins, he had to have a physical human body. Because that's where the, the curse is manifested. It's manifested in death. Had it not been for the fall of man, physical death would have never entered the world. The ultimate manifestation of sin is that you and I fall apart and die. To bear our sins, he had to have a physical human body. Sin has been passed down through the human male bloodline. So maybe that's why the feminists hate us so much. Sin has been passed down through the human male bloodline from generation to generation, beginning with Adam. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin. 1 Corinthians 15.21, For since by man came death, by man, big M, that's Jesus, by man also came the resurrection of the dead, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. You see, folks, it was a man, the first man, Adam, that plunged the entire human race into sin. We call it original sin. Sin originated with Adam and Eve in the garden. And it took a man to pay the price for the sins of mankind. But only a perfect man could pay that price. And the only way to provide a perfect man was for God to become one. Only way. Because every human being born on the planet, and again, this is all changing too. Historically, for thousands of years, every human being born on the planet had one dad and one mom. But now, with genetic engineering and DNA engineering in labs and test tube babies and in vitro fertilization and sperm banks, they can now create babies in a lab, and they've already created babies with three parents. And they're looking at creating babies with only one gender contributing, either two women, two men. Would you even dare to argue with me that the world's gone insane? Would you even dare to argue with me that man is trying to play God and usurp God's creative power and authority and that the one behind it is the one who wanted to be God when he's not? Satan, Lucifer. 1 Peter 1.18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. We studied this a few weeks ago in the first chapter of 1 Peter. We were not redeemed. Our salvation was not purchased with the things of this world, silver or gold. You can't buy your way into heaven from your aimless conduct. And that's what we were redeemed from, aimless conduct. Conduct that's not going to get us where we need to go. Where do we need to go? We need to go back to God. Back to the garden. Back to the beginning. Back to paradise. From your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb 
without blemish and without spot. It took a man to pay the price for the sins of mankind and it had to be a perfect man. Therefore, that man had to be God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He made Him, the Father made the Son. He made Him, God the Father made Jesus Christ the Son who knew no sin. When Christ came out of eternity, when He was born of the Virgin Mary by divine supernatural fertilization. He knew no sin. He had no connection with sin. He was the perfect, sinless Son of God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Again, bearing our sins in His body that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The only way we can ever be viewed by God as righteous is by being born again, by having the Spirit of God live inside of us, being washed and cleansed from our sins by the precious blood of Christ, being covered over with His robes of righteousness. He bore our sins in His own body on the tree. You see, in ancient times, the cross of crucifixion was known as the tree. Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, yes, Virginia, there really are sins deserving of death. The Bible teaches punishment in keeping with the crime. But very rarely does that happen today. And therefore, we have many criminals committing many crimes with impunity because they know nothing bad is going to happen to them. In fact, many of them have a better life on the inside than they do on the outside. But that's another story. Don't get, even get me started. Okay. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree. Let me tell you something. That again is the reflection in our society and our culture of fleshly, worldly, demonic compassion. I can guarantee you something. If a murderer is put to death, he or she will never murder anyone again. Oh, you won't stop it from happening by doing that. Yes, you just did. And statistically, people that do that and are released go back out and they do it again. I'm sorry. Jesus said, anyone who causes one of these little ones of mine to stumble, it'd be better to have them have a millstone tied around their neck and cast into the sea. You put a pedophile to death, he will never violate another child again. You put a rapist to death, they will never rape another woman or man again. Do you get it? See, God understands that. This is what I'm talking about. Intelligence, rationalism, logic, godly compassion. Godly compassion says this person needs to pay the price for their crime, for their sin, and it's compassionate 
because you're protecting all the other people who might become victims of this same perpetrator. Do you, do you see that? I could go on and on. Chuck Messler, at least 10 years ago, probably longer, made the definitive statement when he said we are now living in the age of deception. I'm going to take it a step further and say we're living in the age of insanity. But we have a promise from the Word of God that He will guard our hearts and our minds. Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7. We need Him to guard our hearts and our minds now more than ever. Okay, Deuteronomy. If a man has committed a sin deserving death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, for he who is hanged is accursed of God. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written... Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So sin is the curse that we are under because of our forefather and foremother, Adam and Eve. Jesus took that curse upon himself when he was crucified. Some people struggle with the belief that they're under some type of familial curse. And I'm not talking just about non-believers. I've had believers say this over the years, that they're burdened and they feel like they're under this curse that they can't get out from under. Uh, alcoholism, well, it runs in the family, or drug addiction, or divorce. You know, it seems like everybody in your family has gotten divorced, and it's like a family curse, or homosexuality, or anger. Well, I, you know, my dad was an anger-violent man. I'm the same way, so to speak. Thievery, whatever it is. But you've got to understand this, that when you are washed in the blood of the Lamb, forgiven, set free, and born again, the curse of sin over your life is broken in Jesus' name. You need to receive it. You need to believe it. The devil is a liar. The devil's a liar. You need to stand on the promises of God in His Word. You're a new creation. All the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The curse has been broken over you. Don't let the devil get away with that. So far, it's been all about what Jesus has done. Now, Peter says that we, having died to sins. This is important also, according to Peter and the other New Testament writers, who, by the way, are the voice and the mouthpiece of God. All Scripture is God-breathed, Paul wrote to Timothy. According to Peter and the other New Testament writers, sin for the believer should be spoken of in the past tense. Having died to sins. Galatians 2, 19 and 20. For I, through the law, died to the law... Romans chapter 8 uh, says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life has freed us from the law of sin and death. Died to the law that I might live to God. 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, writes Paul, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, having died to sins. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? We just learned that our righteousness comes from God through Jesus Christ. We don't have any of our own. So when he speaks of the unrighteous, he speaks of those not walking with God, those not practicing confession and repentance of sin. But he is addressing believers here. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. And this is where people get just really freaked out and upset about this list. God said it, I didn't. Neither fornicators, those are people who have sexual relations with people they're not married to, nor idolaters, those who make anyone or anything other than the true God, their God, that which they worship, that which they dedicate the majority of their time and energy and money to. It could be sports. It could be race cars. It could be motorcycles. It could be, you know, um, Katy Perry. Anyone or anything that you worship over and above God. God said, you shall have no other gods before me. Get them out of my face. Adulterers, we know what adultery is. Fornication is between two single people. Adultery is where at least one party is married to someone else. Nor homosexuals, I'm sorry. I know it's politically incorrect. It's called hate speech. It's called homophobia. I call it biblical. God does not condone, endorse, or even allow for the practice of homosexuality. Again, it's not the only thing on the list, but how do we justify systematically going through the list and saying that everything God says is wrong, now our super intelligent, ultra-modern, post-modern, worldly, humanistic leaders tell us, oh no, God's wrong, we're right, it's okay. Do we listen to God or do we listen to man? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So there it is. Homosexuals, sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the past tense. And, writes Paul to the Corinthians, Such were some of you. The people that he was writing the letter to in the church in Corinth, some of you were these things. In fact, I would suspect that all of them were at least one of those things. Such were some of you, but you were washed with the blood of Christ. You were sanctified. It means to be set apart for God's holy purposes. You were set apart. You were called out from the world. Out of darkness into light. Out of death into life. Sanctified, justified. We all know the street level thumbnail definition of justified. Because of Jesus Christ and His redemptive work on the cross, 
It's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified by faith. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Past tense. Now I know what some of you are probably thinking. Pastor, if you're telling me that I must, in order to be a follower of Christ, in order to be a child of God, I must never, ever sin again. If that's what you're telling me, I'm in big trouble. Okay, hold on. Don't freak out. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And I've shared with you my own personal journey. The older I get, the more aware of my sin I become. It was towards the end of Paul's life that he wrote those famous words, I am the chief of sinners. The longer you walk with God, the more the veil is removed, the layers of the onion are peeled back, and you see your own wretchedness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So John said, any of you guys out there reading this letter of mine who think that you have no sin, you're full of baloney. You're deceived. You are forgiven. Your sins have been washed. Washed away by the blood of Christ. But, because we still live under the curse, we still live in these mortal bodies And as we talked about several years ago in our ongoing studies in the book of Romans, that constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. We read this morning how Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, I no longer live, Christ lives in me. But when you study the book of Romans, you see the ongoing conflict. Paul says, that which I would not do, I do, and that which I would do, I do not. And we talked about it's like the zombie. Every time you kill those suckers, they just keep coming back. Because they're already dead. But they keep trying to come back. You bury them. Here comes the hand. That's our flesh. Our sin nature. Trying to rise up against us and against God. So when I say that our sins should be past tense. We are not going to be able to achieve perfection in this life. We will not achieve protection Romans chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about when that which is perfect is come. That's Jesus. And when He comes, He will perfect us and we will no longer struggle with these things. Until then, we will. The difference is, do you struggle or do you not? Do you fight with all that is within you to resist temptation, to avoid doing the things we've talked about this morning? Doesn't mean you're not tempted. You might be tempted to fornicate. You might be tempted to adulterate. You might be tempted to do these other things. But did you just give in and say, forget it, I can't help it, I'm just going for it? Or are you fighting? Are you praying? Are you asking for God's help? Are you confessing and repenting? That's the difference. It's the difference between a chosen lifestyle of sin versus that ongoing struggle that every one of us faces every day. If we confess his sins, our sins, this has always been one of my favorite Bible verses. I actually pray it every night now. Lord, I'm confessing to you that I am a sinner. I thank you that you are faithful and just 
to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You should be thanking God every day for that. 1 John 2, 1. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. That's the goal. Yeah. What's God's preference? That we not sin. That we be holy, even as He is holy. I write these things to you, John says, that you may not sin. John says, I want you to know what you shouldn't be doing. I want you to know what you should be doing. And I want you to know how to do that. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's Word. But then right after that, he says, and if anyone sins. Oh, by the way, I know you're going to. I don't want you to. God doesn't want you to. I'm writing this to you so that you won't. But when you do, and you will, we have an advocate. This is a legal term. It's the term for a defense attorney. Why? Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And he goes before God and he says, Do you see that guy down there, Gary Cowan? You know what he just did today? As if God wouldn't know, right? And you mean to tell me that you have forgiven him He's your child. This is beyond the pale. He's gone over the top. God, you need to get rid of him. But Jesus is there. Wait a minute. He's one of mine. He's confessed his sins. He's been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Satan, you get the out of here. <laughs> we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So how do we bridge the gap? We already read this morning, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. How do we bridge the gap between who we are in Christ? We're, we're saved, we're redeemed, we're sanctified, we're made holy and righteous, we're set free, we're justified, but we don't always act like it. How do we bridge the gap between our position in Christ? We are washed, cleansed, set free, forgiven, sanctified, justified. But again, we don't always act like it. How do we bridge the gap? Jesus bridges the gap. He's the advocate. Father, I know they're not perfect, but they're mine. They're forgiven. They have confessed me and professed me as Lord and Savior. They're one of mine, Father. We, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. Whereas once we lived for and represented unrighteousness, and some people love to brag about it. How great they are at sinning. How much fun it is. And you hear those idiots who say, well, you know, me and all my friends, yeah, we're going to hell, but we're going to party there. Yeah, right. What, are you going to have a weenie roast? Maybe so, but you're the weenie. Whereas once we lived for and represented unrighteousness, sin, wickedness, evil, we've been saved from our sins by Jesus Christ in order that we might live for and stand for. That's why when I do go into my little monologues, or some people might call them tirades, because we're not just saved out of Something into nothing. We're saved out of darkness into light. We're saved out of death into life. And we are saved out of unrighteousness 
into righteousness. We are not saved into neutrality. We're not saved out of Nazi Germany into Switzerland so we can be all neutral. No, we are to live for righteousness. We've been saved from our sins by Jesus Christ in order that we might live for and stand for what is right. That's what righteousness means. It means doing what is right. Gee, that kind of ties in with what I've spoken of earlier. Rational, intelligent, sensible, godly. That which is good, holy, decent, and godly. That we might live for righteousness. And if we are just all mamby-pamby, neutral, then we're not living for righteousness. Again, that doesn't mean we're hateful, angry, bitter, resentful, mean. But it means we're firm. We're strong. You, you know you can be firm and strong and be loving at the same time? Who's our example? Jesus Christ. Folks, ultimately what Peter's talking about here, to live for righteousness, it means to live for Christ because He is the epitome of righteousness. He is the righteous one. To live for righteousness is to live for Christ by whose stripes you were healed. And the context. Again, a lot of so-called Bible teachers, preachers like to use this to try to prove that everybody should be healed physically from every condition all the time. And if you're sick and you get prayed for and you don't get healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. No, it's because you live in a world cursed by sin you live in a body cursed by sin, and no matter how many times you might get healed, that body's still going to die. The context here is not physical healing, it is spiritual healing. By his stripes, you are healed. By whose stripes you were healed, past tense. And if that were the case, then again, every time you get sick, what happened? Did I lose? I lost my healing. I've heard people say that. Well, I was healed, but I lost it. Remember the old bumper sticker program, Campus Crusade for Christ? I found it. They, they meant, I found Jesus. I found salvation. I found God. Well, we need to have a sticker that says, I lost it. I had it, but I lost it. What God gives you, you don't ever lose. You see? Once you are healed from the deadly terminal disease and illness called sin, you never get it again. It's permanent. By whose stripes you were healed. The sufferings of Christ culminating with His death on the cross meant that we can be forever healed from the curse of sin, which is death. The context here is not physical healing. It's the healing of our hearts, souls, and minds. The healing that leads to eternal life. Because I will, And I will finish with this. And again, so much we've talked about this morning can be traced back to the fact that the majority of people on planet Earth are obsessed with staving off, preventing, delaying physical death as long as possible. And that's why human compassion says, oh, no matter what someone has done, we never have a right to take their life. Actually, God has given us that right and that authority to punish people in like measure for the crimes they've committed. 
God has given permission for that. He's the creator of life, and he is the one who gives it, and he is the one who takes it, and he gives men upon this planet the permission, the authority, and the responsibility to mete out justice on his behalf. And the reason why it's not uncompassionate to take someone's life if they've taken someone else's life or to execute someone for being a rapist or a pedophile is because God's not concerned about this temporary life we're living here. He's concerned about eternity. It's not, folks, I hope everybody gets this and understands this. I think you do, but let me just say this in closing. It's, you're going to think this sounds funny. It's not physical death that will kill you. It's not. It's spiritual death. And the only one who can save you from spiritual death, and we'll get to this next week, is the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Father God, it's been a wild and woolly morning here at Calvary Chapel East. But we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. It is so powerful, so dynamic, so true, so right. And Lord, we know your word does have the power to transform us by the renewing of our minds. And we pray that you would continue that process as we regularly feed upon your word, study your word, meditate upon your word, that you continue that process, Lord, that we would not be taken captive by the insanity that is engulfing this world. Lord, we ask that you would deliver people from that insanity, from that ever-increasing deception upon our planet. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that does not know you. They've not been born again by the Spirit of God. They've not been transformed by the renewing of their mind. Today they would take that step of faith and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, confess their sins, repent, come into right relationship with you, Father. And Lord, for those who've been struggling, that you'd encourage them today, uplift them. Lord, just fill them with your Holy Spirit that they might leave here today not downhearted, but uplifted in Christ. Lord, we thank you that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Lord, I pray in these closing moments that everyone who's just struggling in some way right now would come before your throne of grace and receive mercy in their time of need. And we ask your blessing upon all those who will be praying for them, that you would bless this ministry time now as we close and receive our offering of worship as we close this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.